Keith, this is one of the nights I look forward to and have been looking forward to for a while. This is our last late night like this, our last in-season late night podcast recording session. I noticed that today. I told my kids uh, next Sunday I won't need to commandeer the basement, which is also like where the cool TV is and the fireplace and the Christmas tree right now. Um, So they were thrilled to hear that. Yeah, next Sunday will be a night where I can get more than four hours of sleep. It'll be, uh, I'm sure they'll be very happy to see me uh, at work on Monday morning with slightly less caffeine and slightly more awake. Well, and our listeners, however, will be super unhappy to have a Monday and no podcast. I suppose they could always go back that we will have podcast number 270 for them, but it will drop on uh, Saturday morning, I guess, after that Friday night stag bowl between North Central and Mount Union. That's going to be pretty cool. North Central and Mount Union are not playing in the stag bowl. See, I'm already tired. Their team speed, and when you look at their offensive line, it's that they're fast. I mean, good great. What's the rest of their team going to be like? Have you faced anybody with your team speed? Oh, uh, yeah. 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 Wheaton College and, and Montgomery are, I'll tell you what, Delaware Valley's speed. Yeah. Those three defenses were very fast. I try to kick the ball a little bit lower, you know, to not catch the wind all the way on top because the higher it goes, the wind kind of gets, you know, stronger and went down the middle and helped us win the game. I told the guys, I was like, hey, we're winning this. And I go up to my interception on the first place, and that's on me. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. Post-game reaction from Muhlenberg coach Nate Millen. The whole North Central offense, or at least all of them, in the post-game news conference. Wojtek Kashnitsa and uh, Jackson Erdman, the St. John's quarterback. And that's how we start off the uh, D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, our twice-weekly show about the largest division of college football. We welcome you to podcast number 268, the one with the six-second drill. It's the podcast for December 16th of 2019. I'm Pat Coleman, the executive editor of D3Football.com. And I'm Keith McMillan, the longtime co-host, former player, and the semifinal blowout to Pat's first down crunch time interception that he was referencing there in the six seconds. Hey, we've managed to get at least one game for the ages in each round of the playoffs so far, and perhaps we'll get one more in Friday's Stag Bowl. Perhaps we will. You are also probably the more coherent of the two podcasters on this particular show. I think I got about three and a half hours of sleep on Sunday night or Saturday night. I, we haven't even gotten to Sunday night yet. It is just a, uh, it's that time of year, I know. And um, not only juggling, of course, all of the audio for this podcast, uh, the stuff that we've written over the course of the last couple of days, stuff that we are assigning out to be written this week. And then also I'm like working on spotting charts for the Stag Bowl broadcast itself, uh, sketching out All-America team. And I don't know. I just have miles to go before I sleep. Well, don't get too far ahead of yourself or, or be too presumptuous. I am also like only relatively coherent, but I don't think anybody tuned in to listen to uh, you and I complain. They tuned in to hear about how these uh, semifinals went. And I think one was outstanding. One was outstanding for one of the teams that was there and and pretty disappointing for Muhlenberg. Um, I I think it's fair to say, and and Muhlenberg folks said this off to the side afterward, that, uh, you know, it's probably probably about 50-50. 
Um, North Central having a great day in Muhlenberg, not having that great of a day. Um, and even if Muhlenberg had gotten off to a hot start, probably wouldn't have won that game anyway. I think it's pretty clear that North Central is uh, one of the two best teams remaining and um, played really well. But I thought, Pat, you got the uh, the good semifinal on uh, Saturday. And it's, there have been years where, where I've had the dud before, and so it's not um, – not completely unprecedented and it's not completely un- unprecedented for both of the semifinals to be not that entertaining or and, and there were a couple years where uh they were both great too but you got the one that came down to the uh the final minutes that had a sort of a breakout star a guy who, who we've mentioned a couple of times over the past few weeks but uh but really became a national household name yesterday yeah and so keith was there in allentown i was in whitewater wisconsin if you couldn't read between the lines Uh, We will talk more about those coming up in just a couple of minutes. But before we do that, we have to recognize that uh, this edition of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is sponsored by Gotta Have It, the Gotta Have It FanFoams.com. These are the 3D logo fan foam wall signs. I have one less of them on my wall now. I took the uh, Whitewater one off of my wall. I brought it to Whitewater with me because it was eminently easy to do so. It fit right in my duffel bag, and then I left it with an assistant coach who recognized that it was a fan foam from having heard us talk about it on the podcast, so now it is in the possession of somebody in the Whitewater coaching office, so I'm sure that it will uh, it will fit in nice and well there, just like it would fit in your office uh, if you are a Division Three fan who wants to have a uh, representation of your school logo in your office at work, in your den at home, you know, any of the various places that you could recognize your fandom, this would be a great way to do it. Yeah, and there were, it would be great to see some make the trip down to Wood Forest Bank Stadium in Shenandoah on Friday night for the Stag Bowl. It would, of course, be a couple of fan bases that weren't there last season, but 50% of the fan bases coming to the Stag Bowl on uh, on Friday have a fan foam available to them. i got to have it. And uh, we are a huge fan of the product for their support this season, but also because it's something that I think is is lightweight, durable. You can take it with you to the game pad. You can take it on a plane. It's um, definitely a couple steps above a big sticker or a you know a, a magnet or anything like that. Um, but it's got this real official, cool look to it. And so, uh, if you were to get one, and as you mentioned, it's holiday shopping season, um, you would not regret it. Yeah, so North Central, you know, athletic department, promotions people, understand you might be a little busy this week, but when it's, uh, you know, when this is all said and done, head on over to gottahabitfanfoams.com. Scroll down to uh, where you see, it says, see what we can do for your school. Get your school, your team, your mascot, your officially licensed logo in this because there's a half dozen Division Three teams in this so far. Great Army-Navy game. Army and Navy were listed. I say Great Army-Navy game because I have Navy ties in my family. I understand that maybe it wasn't great for everybody. But uh, those are all the things that you can find at gottahabitfanfoams.com. And we appreciate their support of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Keith, I think we're going to start on your side of the bracket. I was uh, listening to this game uh, at least for the part of the game that was the most interesting on the way over to Whitewater. Have to say that, you know, it's still awesome to live in the future where I can just dial up on the rental car, uh, has the uh, has the iHeartRadio app, 
and uh, WONC, which is the student station at uh, North Central, is on that. And first of all, I wish that was a thing when I was a, a student radio broadcaster. And secondly, they, they did a pretty good job uh, calling that game, and it was just... So it sounded out of hand early, and I'm assuming it looked out of hand early. Yeah, it's not that hard to call a great game when all the players you know really well are the ones making all the plays. It was North Central from jump, although there was a point in the game, and I think this is valid and legitimate for Muhlenberg fans to to say... Um, if a couple of things had gone our way early, it wouldn't have been quite the blowout that it turned out to be. Um, there was a pick on the first play. Brock Rudder's first pass hits off the shoulder pad of D'Angelo Hardy, pops up into the air. Muhlenberg has an interception. A couple of plays later, Michael Nakowski throws one back to uh, North Central in a similar situation where the defender is on top of the receiver. As the ball gets there, ball pops up. Uh, another player, in this case, Julian Bell, picks it off runs it back for North Central. And that, even though they started in Muhlenberg territory, that drive was a little bit of a struggle. They had to convert a fourth and one inside the red zone to uh, to keep the drive alive, and they end up punching it in with a quick um, quick out to Andrew Kaminsky. That point, not you know, still not too crazy of a game. Um, Muhlenberg misses a deep shot on uh, on the following drive on third down, down the sideline. Goes through Angarde's um, uh, hands, and uh, Muhlenberg punts, and and North Central uh, breaks off big run, uh, turns that into a quick another. I'm sorry, this was the this was and this is the type of game that it was. You confuse the touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Um, backside post or drag, uh, Rudder's rolling out to his right, and no pressure. Looks back, guy cutting across the field to Blake Williams, hits him in stride, turns into a 51 yard touchdown pass. And so just like that, uh, 927 was the first score, 757 was the second score. North Central's up 14-0. Muhlenberg fumbles the kick return. North Central is in um in business from you know the what like 23-yard line. Mm-hmm. They're in the end zone again within another two minutes. It's 21-0. And they really never looked back from there. I won't go through every single drive on this thing, but uh there was another play. Later in the first half where Muhlenberg has a kind of their fullback, H-back tight end guy running, not Ryan Curtis, one of the other ones, running down the middle of of the field, wide open, similar to during the Salisbury game. That pass is just a little out of his reach. There were some plays for Muhlenberg to be made. They could have gone in at the break in this game, and, and it was basically over at that point. Muhlenberg only threw the ball. I'm sorry, North Central only threw the ball twice in the second half, handed it off a bunch of times, rudders. Work had been done. I thought a couple of things were impressive, though. Besides the fact that that it was a um, it was a, a, a blowout from jump, um, North Central was was very much uh, you know foot on their necks or foot on the gas, however you you want to phrase it. In that there was a sequence right before the half where North Central ends up kicking a field goal, but they're trying to score again before the half. They're already up thirty five seven at this point, trying to put another one in. And uh, Kaminsky dives. He already has four touchdown catches at this point. Dives for the pylon. Mm-hmm. Looked like he got in. The officials said he didn't get in. Uh, Brock Rudder is, you know, in a friendlyish way, arguing with the officials, saying, he, I mean, if he knocked the pylon down, he's, he's in, right? Muhlenberg comes back, huge stick on the next play. So they're, like, playing as hard as they can to, to keep it from going from 35-7 up. Um, and then eventually North Central kicks the field goal. They go in, and, and they're, they're happy. Um, 
But I just thought the the effort was there, even though the game was uh, out of hand early. Both teams were playing kind of like it was 7-7, 10-7 for, you know, well into the third quarter in that one. So it uh, I think there are bigger takeaways, and maybe I shouldn't have gone through through um, the game itself, but I thought for those of you who didn't watch, and, uh, you know, if you tuned in late and you saw the score, maybe you just were like, forget this one. I'll, I'll just wait for the, the second semifinal. Um, there were some some interesting things about it. It just uh, it was basically the Andrew Kaminsky show and uh, and the North Central running game. And, and we'll talk a little bit more about that when we get to game balls. But he had a, the, the wide receiver for North Central, the leading receiver in the country at this point, had a great day. And uh, Brock Ryder had a nice day. North Central offense was great and the defense was great. The defense was great, and we did focus, obviously, a lot on the offense because they put up big numbers, but uh, the defense had a fantastic afternoon as well. And let's have the offensive guys tell you about their defense. They struggle here and there, but we have faith in them, and for them to come out and do what they did today was really reassuring for us to know that what we do on offense, we're going to go out and perform against anybody. And then for them to come out and play against that offense and do what they did, it's just more confidence to us. And I think it's a great example of the adversity we talked about. There's some adversity first play of the game, I throw him an interception, and I think it was two plays later, he comes out and makes an interception. That just shows the kind of resiliency we have on this team. And we, like Coach said, we literally laugh at things that go wrong, and it's helped us along the way, and we just are able to bounce back from things. And you got to give huge credit to Julian. That was a huge play in the game, and shifted momentum right back in our favor. The crazy thing was Julian was on our turf on Wednesday and, and had to leave the field. He was on crutches on Wednesday. Our field was like a like an ice rink. It was so cold. He jumped, landed on his knee. We didn't know what was wrong. Um, had an MRI. And luckily, fortunately, he was able to come back and play. Practiced a little bit Thursday. And he's he's not very big, but he's tough. What do you, what do you see on the interception? And, and yeah, how did it feel? Uh, I mean, I just saw, you know, they were trying to like a cup before a beater. Um, yeah, 25, uh, Braden, he came through and deflected the ball and it just landed in my hand. So at that point, you know, I'm just looking through the grass and looking to slip in my way. I mean, I wasn't moving pretty fast uh, due to my knee, but um, I was just trying to get as much as I can and hold on to the ball. In that clip, you heard Andrew Kaminsky. Then you heard Brock Rutter, Jeff Thorne, and uh, Julian Bell. Uh, obviously, Keith, yeah, uh, the defense did a fantastic job as well. Second touchdown for Muhlenberg didn't come until the fourth quarter, at which point the game had already well been decided. Yeah, and I think for North Central, if they're going to win a national championship later on this week, the defense has got to play well again. It doesn't necessarily have to hold a team to 14 points as it has done in the past couple of weeks with against Delaware Valley and Muhlenberg, but it can't give up 52 like it did in round two against Mount Union, and you're, and you're facing you know, what is – generally regarded as the other Mountain Union or the other Purple Power in D3, right? You're facing Whitewater, so you know it's going to be that level of game. And uh, they've got to get some something great out of their defense in the Stag Bowl, whether it's turnovers, whether it's just getting off the field on certain third downs, whether it's being stout against the run and, and forcing Whitewater to put the ball in Max Myler's hands. It's got to be something from that defense. They, they've got to get another good game from them. I mean, technically, they could win a shootout, and uh, it's not the worst plan from them. I think that that offense is good, but you don't want to have to score 38 necessarily to win the Stag Bowl. Now, they may get to 38, um, but this is a Whitewater defense that had seven sacks against uh, Jackson Erdman in the game that you saw, 
and uh, has been a has held Mary Harden Baylor the week before to seven points uh, and has been a great defense for most of the season. So I, I don't see why um, you should expect to go in there and dominate offensively. It's, it may be a back and forth game at some points, and that defense that's played well the past couple of weeks, I think, is, is going to have to do so again. As Thorne does note, however, the prolific offense is really tough to stop. Here's a little bit more about that. Yeah, you know what? I think it's really tough to prepare when you, when you have an offense that starts all up front. Our offensive line is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And that forces teams to have to account for our running game. And we've got, in my opinion, the best quarterback in the country and I think the best receiver in the country, too. And we're, that's kind of an embarrassment of riches on offense. So we're very fortunate to have that. They've got to defend the whole field, you know, horizontally, vertically, and then you got to deal with Ethan and, and Terrence Hill, who we got back a few weeks ago for this playoff run. It makes it really hard um, from a defensive standpoint. We ran into that with Mount Union. You know, I mean, how do you stop an offense that can run, that can pass with a dynamic quarterback, a receiver like Justin Hill? Oftentimes the answer is you really can't, and you just got to keep fighting and stay in the game. And that's why I thought it was so important today that our defense played well. They've got a great quarterback. They've got an All-American tight end. Um, those two defensive ends are dynamic players, and, and that was really a focus for us. We saw some things on film that reminded us of the 2013 Platteville team, and we, we pulled some things out from that game that we haven't done all year this year, and it really made a big difference in our running game. We're going to talk a little bit more about the North Central offense on the website this week, so uh, look for a feature on that as well. It's an offense with no weaknesses, Gallardi Trophy winning quarterback, a uh, running back that's been great all season and Ethan Greenfield, and then another running back who has been hurt much of the season has come back for the playoffs and, and gives them a one-two punch in the backfield. A couple of, of wide receivers, Kaminsky, you know, he's more of the the route runner, um, gets open by being crafty. They've also got a, a bit of a blazing speed freshman in D'Angelo Hardy, Blake Williams, six foot four guy, a big guy they can go to if they need to in the red zone. And then the great offensive line you mentioned. So Whitewater has its work cut out for it on Friday. North Central offense, certainly capable of of carrying this team to a championship, but uh, it's not a thing they would they would want to have to do. And if I could just quickly say that Muhlenberg's defense, we spent so much time talking about them uh, because they'd given up just the eight points in the first three playoff games. They had the athletes in the front seven, at the very least, to to compete with teams across the country, and uh, just didn't have a good day. They they got outplayed, uh, out you know, dominated by that North Central offensive line. The, you knew it was bad when it was twenty one zero, and Greenfield just takes a run right up the middle, little resistance, and uh, you know Muhlenberg a couple times had called timeout to try to almost like a basketball timeout. Coach Millen said. In, uh, in in the post game to try to calm them down. There's a point where the defense is getting a pretty fiery speech on the sideline when they're down 28. They're like, look, you, you know, you got to put the pass behind you. You can't get those 28 points back. All you can do is play well from here. Um, essentially, you know, not in those exact words, but uh, it, it, they just didn't offer a lot of resistance, I think, on a lot of the um, Kaminsky routes and, and some of the runs. So I, I don't know if that was, I mean, I watched the game and I rewatched the highlight package. And I still don't know if it was all North Central being that dominant or was it uh, Muhlenberg not having a really great day? Keith, I just have to double check. Uh, you referred to Rudder as a Gordy Trophy winning quarterback. Do you know something that I don't know yet? 
No, I I wanted to say probably finalist. I I think he will be the Gallardi Trophy winner. Uh, that's who I voted for. But I, yeah. you're right. At the time we're recording this, it has not been announced. And at the time you're hearing it, maybe you will know that. Uh, certainly, that seems like the right call. The votes were due uh, a week ago, but given what happened uh, on Saturday, it would be it would be odd if it went in the other direction. Well, we will find out on Friday night in the uh, pregame show for the Stag Bowl who does win the Gilardi Trophy. And we've talked quite a bit about uh, the, of course, the finalists, but the, the likely two that it's going to come down to are going to be Brock Rudder and Jackson Erdman. If there's one disappointing thing about the Stag Bowl matchup of, of UW-Whitewater and North Central, it's that we don't get the the rudder Erdman showdown. We don't get the potential, you know, 45-42 Stag Bowl where these two great quarterbacks go, not head-to-head, right, because they don't play each other, but they light up the stadium and we have this super exciting uh, Stag Bowl with two of the great quarterbacks of, of D3 history, not really just this season, right, but these are – a, a Gallardi Trophy winner, another potential Gallardi Trophy winner, a four-year starter, you know, whatever the career numbers are on, on either of these guys. I think people who aren't Whitewater fans or Muhlenberg fans or North Central or or St. John's, well, I guess North Central and St. John's were pulling for it, but I think most everyone was pulling for this matchup unless they're a Whitewater fan or a, uh, or a Muhlenberg fan. So, We'll still get a great stag bowl. I mean, I don't think Whitewater is going to come in and lay down. They they may well win the national championship on Friday. Uh, and and Max Myler, I think you were there, Pat. You saw it. Not a household name, not a four-year starter, um, but someone who looked like, at least for portions of that game, um, a star quarterback. Yeah, Myler definitely beginning to come into his own. If uh, you guys have not been uh, super focused on the Whitewater quarterback situation, uh, you may not remember that Myler is the guy who moved into the starting lineup for the Warhawks at quarterback when the playoffs started. He replaced Zach Olas, who kind of struggled down the stretch, especially in the uh, final quarter of the uh, regular season loss at UW Oshkosh, and uh, Myler took over that starting spot. Now he, of course... You know, he only completed 15 out of his 34 passes, and he was picked off a couple of times, but he kept, uh, you know, the, the key drives of the game, he kept alive with his feet. He was surprised to learn in the postgame that he was the team's leading rusher, and uh, he readily admits that running the ball is not really one of his things that he's known for. Well, I'm not really known as a runner. Um, don't really have a the get up speed like some of uh, the guys we have but uh, yeah the opportunity came and I took advantage of that that opportunity what were you thinking when you kind of turned the corner on that uh, third down play at the beginning of the fourth quarter and saw just daylight ahead of you yeah it was they didn't have a uh, guy on me spy on me so um, once I put my foot on the ground uh, I could just see the touchdown so was a long run. What was your first read in that play? Was it the quick out there? What were you looking for? Yeah, it was. I could either hand it off or run, uh, maybe throw. But um, I saw that I had a, you know, green grass right in front of me, so I just took it. That's a 38-yard touchdown run that we're talking about at the beginning of the fourth quarter. That puts Whitewater up. 32-24, and a lot of big runs in the final drive of the second quarter. And this was 
a spot in the game that uh, Gary Fashing talked about. Of course, he's the St. John's head coach. He talked about it being a big turning point for the Johnnies, or, or at least for, for Whitewater, I should say, because St. John's had scored with a uh, buck 47 to go in the first half. You know, Erdman uh, hit Robbie Alston with a touchdown pass that ended a drive that had uh, taken eight plays, 66 yards, about two and a half minutes. Didn't leave Whitewater with a bunch of time, and uh, Myler hadn't, you know, had, had been decent throwing the ball in the first half, but, uh, you know, it was not his, uh, not his forte, and he was only 4 of 13 passing in the second quarter. But that drive, a drive in which uh, Whitewater finished with a touchdown that uh, ended the and, and gave Whitewater the lead going into the halftime, had runs from Myler. Let's see. There was a uh, a 13-yard run by Jared Ware on third and one, which was like the first really big run of the day for the Warhawks and kind of brought the crowd to life. And then uh, Myler goes for nine yards on second and 10. He goes for four yards on the next play to move the chains, throws an incomplete pass, and then uh, rips off a 22-yard run, which gets them down into a first and goal territory at the six-yard line. It was one of the things that Fashing really talked about, the inability to contain Myler, you know, maybe that it was a little bit unexpected uh, that really kind of, you know, changed the nature of that game because otherwise, you know, Kevin Bullis talks about the fact that, uh, you know, the running game for them didn't really go as planned, but uh, Myler kind of made up for some of that difference. Well, he did make up for the difference because if you look at the final numbers, it's uh, 209 yards rushing, which is a, a great day for any uh, any offense, and an offensive line would be proud of that number. 38 carries, 5.5 per carry as a team. So you figure, eh, Whitewater ran the ball pretty well. But it was just 11 for 44 for Alex Pete, who's uh, the most well-known, if not the star runner of the group. Jared Ware, the guy who had the big game last week, just five carries for 23 yards, 4.6 a carry. And Ronnie Ponick got 10 touches. Uh, for 37 yards. So none of the backs were even over 50 yards, and a couple of them got 10 touches. They also tried to sneak carries to uh, wide receiver Ryan Wisniewski every now and again, yep. whether those are uh, you know, direct, direct snaps. snaps or jet yep. sweet. Yeah, they, they, um, they try to mix up the running game so it's not just the same look each time, and, and none of those really worked. But the times uh, Myler were, was able to carry it, and that 38-yard that run, the one you talked about, was really – wasn't a backbreaker, right? Because it put him up eight, and, and St. John's was able to drive the field and tie the game. But it certainly was a key in, in the game. And then for Myler again to come out after uh, the, the tying drive and lead Whitewater to what ended up being the game winning field goal, it certainly says a lot about um, his moxie, I guess, for lack of a better word. And I didn't want to do Max and Moxie, but it, it's, it's that's where we are at this point. I, I think they're. I mean, they're definitely going to go with him in the Stag Bowl, and I think they. they, they he's got. I don't know how to, how to really phrase it, but like I, I feel like if he has to put the team on his back again, Whitewater would feel confident in that situation. Myler's a he, big body guy. He doesn't really remind me of any of the. I mean, you know, Matt, Matt Barrett was kind of a big guy, but he he was a thrower. Yeah, and, uh, much more than Myler. So Myler may eventually become. Um, a, a great passer for Whitewater. You know when you've only when you're only making, you know, one of your rare starts this season, um, then you don't. You know, it doesn't mean he won't develop into that 
further down the line. But I think Whitewater had a sophomore starter in Cole Wilbur, the previous starter. And uh, we thought he would develop into a, a great passer. And I'm not sure that he ever did. He was certainly a strong arm guy and a guy that that Whitewater loved to, um, to you know, to, to have as a leader of the team. But they've tried to replace him uh, this year. And it, it was sort of um, obviously didn't go according to the first part of the plan. But I think now all of a sudden um, Whitewater has their guy. They're happy with him. And uh, that's this, you know, whether they win the championship or not is going to depend a lot on how he plays. We're going to have more on the website this week about the quarterback situation at uh, Whitewater. You can hear a little bit more about uh, how Max Myler got into this role, how Zach Ola still uh, you know, contributes to the quarterback unit now that he is the number two, and we'll have more about that. One thing I have to say before we leave the Whitewater offense kind of portion of the conversation, uh, Jared Ware did get those five carries early on, and then he finished the game in a boot. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what his availability, what his situation is for Friday. And Keith, I actually have to backtrack uh, into your game as well. What do you know about D'Angelo Hardy? He was on the field for that first play, the one which was intercepted, and I'm not sure if he was back out there again after that. Yeah, the the word in the post game was that he uh, dislocated his shoulder on that first play where uh, where the ball popped off his shoulder and obviously it wasn't the throw that did it. It was either the hit or him hitting the ground. And uh, they, because they got out so far in front, uh, they didn't miss him in the sense that they really need his, his field stretching ability. Uh, he was, had a huge game against Delaware Valley and, and the ability to go to run past really fast defensive backs, I think helped open up the rest of the offense for North central. So, we weren't told he's definitely out for the stag bowl, but you'd have to imagine uh, that's a certain, that's a possibility uh, when you hear the word separated shoulder. Now you you don't know uh, if they go back, if uh, you know, if everything's fine and and maybe they misdiagnosed it because it wasn't official diagnosis, but, but yeah, um, that, that would be a big loss for, for North Central if he can't play Friday. And we talked earlier in the podcast about the pressure that Whitewater got up front. Erdman was stacked five times. Uh, he did complete 29 of 50 passes for 342 yards and uh, a touchdown. And I, I should say before we move off of uh, Jackson Erdman, he was 28 yards away of tying the Division Three single season record of 5,068 passing yards. Keith, you talked about the fact that, you know, these are not just uh, Erdman and Rudder, not just the two best quarterbacks in Division Three this season, but guys who are you know, in the echelon of like all-time Division Three great passers. Yeah, for Erdman, a five thousand yard season, forty-seven touchdowns, and that that is his encore to the great season that he had last year when he uh, when he won the Gallardi Trophy. So uh, he certainly um, at that time when they get the ball um, with two minutes left, and you said he need twenty-eight passing yards uh, to to set the record or to break it. He, you figure he's not only going to lead these guys down to uh, you know to take the lead uh, or tie the game or whatever, but he uh, he's also going to set a record in the process, and that's uh, that just didn't happen. Um, we could talk a little bit about a bit more about the circumstances why it didn't go that way, but um, he's one of the all-time greats, and uh, the finish was not his his all-time great finish. 
Well, one of the reasons it didn't finish that way or that it did not go the way that uh, St. John's and St. John's fans would have wanted was because of the pressure up front. Jordan Brand with three sacks, Nico Lemke with two, Justin Hansen with two. And, you know, it's all part of the plan for Kevin Bullis and the guys on the defensive staff to get pressure with that front four. That's where we're excited about is that we have those types of pass rushers. <coughs> Jordan Brand, Nico Lemke, Justin Hansen. We feel like we can get, and that's something that's been a tradition here for, is, well, I've been here for 12 years now, and that's been a consistent tradition is that we feel very confident about our ability to get to a quarterback with a four-man rush. Um, and when you can do that, that allows, obviously, it's a math game, as you and I have talked about, that allows more people into coverage. And, and you need more people into coverage. I mean, number three, number one, number 11, I mean, goodness gracious. Shoot, their tailback, number 25, the guy that you would think that's not going to get many touches, um, had a fantastic game. He had a couple grabs that I thought were, were fantastic. Notably absent from that list, and I should just mention for the record, Mackenzie Balanganayi, he's the guy who, of course, is the D3Football.com West Region Defensive Player of the Year, but he was injured earlier in this playoff run, and he uh, has, um, I think, I don't know if it's official or unofficial, but tore multiple ligaments in his knee, so also not a person that we will see in the Stag Bowl. Keith, uh, not only did they come up with all of these sacks, they batted down a bunch of passes at the line of scrimmage uh, especially, and of course uh, some of them downfield, but they broke up nine passes on the afternoon. They had the seven sacks, ten tackles for loss. Uh, you know, even though St. John's put up a ton of numbers and mostly in the passing stats area, uh, obviously, nonetheless, it's a, a great defensive performance by that Warhawk defense. Yeah, and, and probably to some degree, to be expected because it's been a great defense, but, uh, and you know, they gave up 32 points, so it wasn't like a perfect day, but it was, it was the timeliness of the plays that you mentioned. Um, Pat, I, I thought two things stood out first from, from, uh, what coach Bullis was saying, uh, about it being a math game. It's my understanding that there would be no math. If you can rush four, you can drop seven in the coverage, but it also means that you don't have to, to blitz to create the cover to create the pressure. And what happens when you have a quarterback as experienced as Jackson Erdman or as experienced as Brock Rudder, which they're going to see on Friday night, is when you start bringing those blitzes, uh, unless they're perfectly timed, and sometimes even if they are perfectly timed, that quarterback, because he's seen everything uh, as a four-year starter that, that a defense could possibly throw at him, uh, as soon as the outside linebacker comes or as soon as you try to creep a safety up and, and time that safety blitz, um, that's right where the ball's going. And so you can't really fool a, a, a quarterback as um, as experienced as Jackson Erdman uh, or Brock Rutter. Or if you do, it's not going to be too often that you get them to make a mistake. So to get the to to just have the players in coverage and to get the pressure with four is super advantageous. I think the big difference, though, is that North Central is going to have a much better running game than St. John's. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say St. John's doesn't bother to run it. Um, because that's not that's not totally accurate. I mean, they do um, hand the ball off, but you're looking at against Whitewater, 25 rushing attempts for 21 yards. And North Central, I think, would be happy. I don't know if happy is the right word, but they would be happy to have fade twice that number of rushing attempts, and um, or you know at least 40, or to hand the ball off. There'll be drives where um, they'll you know Greenfield will get 
three carries in a row, or they'll go Greenfield, uh, Hill, Greenfield, or something like that. So it um, it is going to be a little bit different challenge, and you may have to see the Whitewater defense get creative, or maybe Whitewater starts out um, trying to get pressure with four, but they gotta they're going to have to have those blitz packages in their back pocket if uh, if necessary. And, uh, you know, that's fine. But I, I, I think North Central is just going to be a little bit more effective running the ball, especially because uh, because they have Ethan Greenfield and then Terrence Hill to come in and spell him. One more thing about the uh, St. John's Whitewater game, the, the big gap in terms of special teams. And although St. John's kicked the ball fairly well on extra points, uh, that's just part of it. They punted poorly. They had a punt blocked, of course out the back of the end zone for a safety uh, and the, on the other five punts they averaged just 23 yards uh, and that was a uh, that was obviously a a big difference they had kickoffs uh, go poorly and or go out of bounds and then on the other side Wisconsin Whitewater had uh, of course uh, you know more than adequate punting and Wojtek Gashnitsa pronunciation 101 Budavistic Monon Belt Budavistic Galardi Teal Muhlenberg. Wojtek Gashnitsa. Yeah, that's how you pronounce Wojtek Gashnitsa. That's uh, the four field goals, including a 37-yarder into the wind with 2-10 to go that ended up being the final margin. And Keith, we haven't even really talked about, of course, the uh, the unforced errors. Uh, you know, Trost fumbling the ball after uh, getting a direct snap. St. John's, you know, has the best quarterback or one of the best quarterbacks in the game in terms of in Division Three, and definitely the best quarterback in the game, and yet sometimes chose to snap it to somebody else. Well, I mean, I think it's okay to have some diversity in your offense, and I, I almost think that when you look at the the effectiveness of the other things that St. John's was doing, it just shows you how good Jackson Erdman uh, really is. And, and to be honest, I'd, I'd throw uh, Ravi Austin in there in that he's become a really amazing playmaker and he finished, um, I think, 11 catches. All the things that didn't go well, you know, uh, seven sacks for Whitewater, a couple of turnovers uh, for St. John's. You mentioned the uh, the other difficulties on, on special teams, and then you're rushing for less than a yard per carry. All that goes wrong or or not perfectly, um, and you had a 32-all game in, in the final minute. Game ball. Game ball. Game balls. Game balls. Game balls. It's time for game balls, and I'm going to give my game ball to Matt Anderson. Matt Anderson is the UW-Whitewater linebacker. He wrestled the ball away from Kai Barber in the final minutes to put the Whitewater offense back out there with a chance to run out the clock. Here's how he described both that final play and then the reaction to it. I saw him come out and come in, so I kind of just fit to him when I saw the ball. I went to hit it down, and all of a sudden I was you know, trying to tackle him at the same time, and all of a sudden I felt that near my chest, so I just, my best of my ability, just tried to rip it away from him, and ended up with both my hands, and then I just got it down as quick as I could, because I knew our offense could finish it from there. What was the feeling there, because you know you're going to the stack, but once you did that? It was pretty ecstatic, you know, because I was on the ground, and I, the second I turned over on my back and looked up, I had probably 10, 10 black shirts above me, you know, just yelling and cheering, and I mean, it's it's like a feeling I never had before. It's hard to explain, put in the words, it's awesome. Anderson finished with five tackles plus a fumble recovery, a pass breakup, and that game-deciding interception. 
And for if whatever reason you were not watching it, it was Erdman uh, at the start of a drive deciding he's just going to get a few yards and a a completion uh, and not try to force it down the field to start the drive. Kind of a routine decision, and the ball's thrown, I don't know if behind Kai Barber, but not really in the – not in a great place, but not in a a ridiculously bad place. And it was just an amazing um, interception from Matt Anderson. I think that play is going to haunt Jackson Erdman a little bit, despite a tremendous career leading St. John's uh, deep into the postseason, back-to-back seasons. Look, he threw 489 passes this year. Uh, Only 10 of the 49 were intercepted, but the last pass of his career ended a great game in in an anticlimactic way. There were a lot of Johnnies, whether they are team personnel or fans, who were confident, down three, with a Gallardi Trophy-winning quarterback at the controls, two minutes, a timeout, and they get the kick return to midfield. And Gary Foshing for, uh, uh, um, you know, in in the postgame news conference said that uh, he fully thought Erdman make the right read and that the check down was the right way to go. Just an amazing play by Anderson to really rip the ball away from Barber. Meantime, for my game ball, the easy answer is Andrew Kaminsky, the North Central wide receiver who had 11 catches, 112 yards, four touchdowns all in the first half and probably had a fifth touchdown. Both he and Brock Rutter thought he got in on a catch right before the half, though, for the pylon and uh, was ruled not in. North Central kicked a field goal on that drive to make it 38-7 going into the half instead. But but I'm going to go hipster on you and give my game ball to these five guys. Will Ebert, Sharmore Clark, Jared Thorne, Ricky Sturba, and Colton Bucknick. That's the Cardinals' offensive line. And against a defense that had been outstanding all year and had given up eight points over three playoff games, It paved the way for 293 rushing yards, including 199 from Ethan Greenfield. Against two of the country's best pass rushers in Frankie Feaster and Dante Leonardo, Brock Rutter was sacked only twice. Now, I know Kaminsky had a day. Probably couldn't have been much better. But if you don't give the O-line the game ball after a day like that, maybe you never will. The only guy who liked North Central's line play more than I did on Saturday was ESPN3's color guy, Forrest Connolly. Should have heard him in the press box. I guess you did hear him, right? You heard him on TV, but I, I heard him on uh, behind the scenes, and and he was amped up. He was just thrilled to see that uh, offensive line play and the, and the way they were playing uh, with, with that effort, even even as it was a blowout. Look, that O line will be the key to the Stag Bowl as well, since Whitewater is coming off the seven sack game. But for now, that line can enjoy this game ball. Keith, also a time of the year where the voters are looking at their final top 25 ballots. Obviously, we're not going to fully vote on these until after the final game is played on Friday night. But I think the past couple of weekends continue to flesh out the pecking order for where teams might fall beyond number one and number two. And you know, this is something that we talk about and probably will talk about in our uh, post-game podcast, which would be Podcast 270. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Uh, we'll probably talk about that again. But this is one of the times where we kind of figure out how our team's going to line up if A happens, how our team's going to line up if B happens. And maybe it's not as simple as we might want it to be. Yeah, Pat, sometimes it's, it's pretty easy where you can actually file your ballot in advance and just uh, go back and switch one and two if the team you don't think is going to win doesn't win. Uh, or you have like two top 25s done where – you know, some things, a scenario or two, uh, you know, you say team A blowout, the scenario changes your top five a little bit, but your top 25 is virtually the same either way. Yeah, That's not the case right here. I think we've got so much going on 
that um, everyone, almost everyone's top five or six could look different. There, there, weren't, there won't be uniform consensus on the 25 ballots that come in. No matter which way the stag bowl goes, there will be some unreconcilable results, result strings. Um, North Central beat Muhlenberg, which beat Salisbury, which beat UW Oshkosh early in the season. Oshkosh beat Whitewater and finished ahead of Whitewater in the WIAC standings. So if Whitewater beats North Central, that's a big circle. We'll take you back to North Central, which beat Muhlenberg, which beat Salisbury, which beat Oshkosh, which beat Whitewater. Right? doesn't make sense. Yeah. you got the same thing on the other side of the bracket. If North Central beats Whitewater, Whitewater just beat St. John's, St. John's beat Wheaton. Well, Wheaton beat North Central during the season. And, and, and as a voter, you don't want Wheaton to get too far away from North Central if North Central ends up winning it because they, they beat them by two touchdowns uh, when they played. But um, you got to fit Whitewater, St. John's in, in the final balloting as well. And I think neither of those things account for the fact that Mount Union, which threw the ball into the end zone, with a chance to tie it at the end of their game, uh, Mount Union might be the number two team and, and just happen to face North Central the earliest. So there's uh, there's a lot for voters to uh, to think about. I don't know if there's an obvious number two, much less a three, four, five, six. Pat, I, I do think the result string does tell us something, though, about um, some of the chatter that was going on on Saturday uh, where yet another team from the eastern part of the country, and Muhlenberg is in the south region, but uh, but Pennsylvania football is is very much northeastern, uh, at least on the eastern part of Pennsylvania. Um, you know, Muhlenberg recruits New Jersey and and places like that. It's known. It's not new to us. We've said this for a long time. The West region is almost always loaded in the postseason. the 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 toughest road is sometimes uh, to go through the South, where where Mary Harden Baylor is. But a lot of times, it's uh, it's all these this cluster of teams in in the Midwest where you've got um, Minnesota, WIAC, CCIW, three of the strongest conferences in the country. You have Mountain Union not too far away. And a lot of the when a team from the East or a newish kind of team, Wesley's sometimes been the exception, but when a new team gets to play one of these powerhouses, uh, it often doesn't fare that well. But I think that's not really fair. F-A-I-R fair in to to put this Muhlenberg team in that group because there's that easy result string um, where you just look at Muhlenberg just last week beat Salisbury. Salisbury beat Oshkosh. Oshkosh beat Whitewater and Whitewater and North Central are about to play this week. So those teams all at least belong in the same group. And just because Saturday's game uh, got away from Muhlenberg early and they weren't really competitive, I don't think that means that we can't put the mules in the top 10. Now, there, there may be that group, St. John's, Wheaton, North Central, Mountain Union, that all end up in the top five. got to find room for Mary Harden-Baylor in there. I, there's no clear necessarily um, order of, of the top five as it stands, but I do think that you end up with, uh, with the mules in the top 10. So if you want to quickly let me run through the, the, the test scenarios that I have for my final ballot, uh, and then tell me if I'm crazy. Okay. Um, I'll do that. Go. All right, I got North Central by blowout. I think in that scenario, you have to consider Mountain Union as number two. Mountain Union lost to North Central by seven, and then North Central uh, beat DelVal 31-14. They whooped Muhlenberg, and if they blow out Whitewater, 
good chance you put the Purple Raiders as two on your ballot. North Central in a close one. Whitewater probably ends up as number two, but voters have to weigh, weigh whether they put Wheaton or St. John's or Mountain Union as number three. If Whitewater wins the Stag Bowl in a close one, you probably have North Central number two, but same question for uh, for spots three and four and five on your ballot. And if, if Whitewater wins in a blowout, you may have St. John's, which just lost to Whitewater by three, uh, number two. And I think you put Mary Harden-Baylor back in the discussion, and you have to give uh, Oshkosh and then Central some thought because Oshkosh beat Whitewater during the season. Central beat Whitewater in the first round of playoffs. So I, I think it's the way it's going to shake out, some combination of North Central, Whitewater, Mountain Union, Wheaton, St. John's, and Mary Harden-Baylor are uh, probably the top six, and good chance that UMHB is at six unless uh, Whitewater dominates. And then you got to figure Muhlenberg, Salisbury, DelVal in that next group, and then Oshkosh Central, Chapman, Union, Wesley, all up for discussion. And then you have the uh, the, the teams that didn't make the playoffs in Susquehanna, John Carroll, St. Thomas. Uh, those teams will be discussed. Maybe Bethel is in that, that discussion as well. And, uh, you know, the ballot can can sort out from there. But I think there's some teams that help themselves in, in the postseason. And I think what we got is a group of no matter who wins on Friday, you have a group of maybe six teams that are all pretty similar. Now's the time on Sprockets when we dance. Now is the time on the podcast where we go to Twitter. Yep, we go to Twitter for these Monday podcasts. Uh, you have an opportunity to shout a question at us on the tweet box uh, using the D3FB hashtag. And this week's question comes from Ron Berger. I don't remember. I know you told me how to pronounce it. I know I pronounced it differently this time. I don't remember if this is the correct one. But asking over under on stag bowl attendance. And as I was doing a very small amount of research for this question, I did note that uh, one Houston area team is playing at AT&T Stadium in uh, the Class 5A Division One title game at 7 p.m. on Friday night. If you thought that uh, local teams might come out to see the Stag Bowl instead of that, I feel like that's highly unlikely. We know that the game in Salem drew a fair amount of local area fans, although that number certainly tailed off. As the years went on, we have no idea based on last year if local people came out to watch at all. But we know that Mary Harden Baylor people did. Yeah. And the, and the attendance number for last season was uh, 68, 16. So that's probably the high, the high water mark or the, the high bench. Too high. Sure. Because because uh, Mary Harden Baylor, three hour drive and North Central and Whitewater, not what I'd call driving distance um to uh to texas but i do think you have the first time novelty for north central so you may get a pretty good uh contingent of uh of red clad fans down there in shenandoah texas i'll set the number since he asked for an over under i'll say four thousand. i think it seems a reasonable over under we talk about uh first time novelty and fans coming from far away i don't uh, think I have to look much further back than the 2016 Stag Bowl in Salem, in which Mary Harden Baylor played UW Oshkosh, and 3,476 fans came out. Um, you know, obviously, it that was a very cold night. This is not expected to be, although you know we're still early on 
in the forecast. And who knows, maybe that ice storm that was coming for the East Coast on a Saturday will finally show up somewhere and come in on Saturday or on Friday. But uh, yeah, I think that 4,000 is probably going to be on the high end. I would love it if that was what we ended up with. But I I don't know. Obviously, it's a bit of an unknown quality, but obviously not going to be anywhere near what we had last year or what we've had, you know, in the in the peak like Whitewater Mount Union years in Salem. Well, then why don't we go ahead and, and make the number 3,500? That way you get a little more uh, tension between the uh, the over and the under. Of course, nobody's actually betting on this, but um, I do think North Central and Whitewater, because they're both in the Chicago area or uh, in Whitewater's case, not really in the Chicago area, but close enough to where you could drive to Chicago airport, uh, either one of the airports and fly out of there. I do think the fact that you can get a direct flight uh, from I'm assuming you can fly direct from Chicago to Houston. I'm so used oh, to going yeah. east-west oh, yeah. where you can fly direct from ma- any major city. Um, but maybe maybe they don't fly north-south like that. But in any case, because they're big cities, I think you should be able to get uh, to get there affordably on short notice. I do think the six-day turnaround hurts fan attendance a little bit in that you could have some pretty cheap flights if uh, if you had more time to buy. Uh, or if you could get a you know a refundable flight and and you could cancel if your team lost on Saturday, I think the best way to go is going to be students taking the buses from campus, and uh, and maybe just maybe uh, charter would come together for uh, for somebody. Yeah, there are multiple nonstops on United, for example, between O'Hare and uh, Bush Intercontinental IAH. If you are still someone who is looking to get to Houston. Uh, IAH is the closest one, but you know, don't give up. Uh, think about Houston Hobby. Think about DFW. Uh, think about San Antonio. Think about you know any place within about you know a four-hour drive. There are major airports uh, other than Houston within about a four-hour radius, and four hours in Texas is like you know dropping a hat. That's like nothing compared to the sixteen hours it would take you to drive from Chicago, or the seventeen and a half to eighteen hours it would take you to drive from Whitewater. Be creative. Find a way to get yourself down there. I was chatting with a uh, North Central alum who played in that 2010 North Central Whitewater National Quarterfinal game and is coming down and knows that other people from his class and from his, you know, other teammates of his are making the trip down as well. And, you know, Keith, obviously Whitewater's been to the stag a lot, but, you know, it's been five years. So there's a a large number of UWW people who, A, haven't been to the stag bowl in a while or maybe haven't been at all. Absolutely. I mean, the one guy who has been to the stag bowl, but not uh, not to Shenandoah and not as head coach is uh, is Kevin Bullis. So to see um, there's some novelty for, for Whitewater to some degree because this class and so this group of parents um, they've been on the road and they've been at home for several playoff games but they haven't been to a national championship as well they'll definitely be a, a, a fresh group but it's not the same feeling as north central which is going to have some people come out of the woodwork from the you know 90s and 80s or whenever to uh to come back and watch um possibly i mean not only is this their chance their their best chance to uh, it's not only their first visit to a stag bowl, but it's a as good a chance as you're going to get 
with a loaded offense, great quarterback, inadequate defense, playing a team that um, is obviously a powerful team and, and got to the stag bowl through the harder side of the bracket, if we're being totally honest. Um, but also not like the monster whitewater team of like 2013. I think that was the one that won 52-14 in the stag bowl uh, against Mountain Union. You know, there were, there, were, there were some loaded whitewater teams. And this whitewater team's good, obviously stag bowl good, but it's not unbeatable. So uh, if you're a North Central fan and you're on the fence – you know, if you if you got to drive a shift and, and um, you take three hours, someone else take three hours while you nap and, and you guys drive down. Uh, this is the one to do it. Do it and be safe and get there. That game is 7 p.m. Central time, 8 p.m. Eastern in Shenandoah, Texas on Friday night, December 20th. We'll be there and we hope to see you there as well. If you can't make it, We'll have lots of coverage for you, of course, leading up to it. We mentioned some of the feature stories that are coming this week, so keep an eye out for those. And also, of course, this week we will have another podcast uh, from Shenandoah where we get you ready for the game itself. We'll have our predictions. Hey, you know what? Here's the deal, guys. At some point, that means that somebody on the staff is likely to pick against Whitewater three weeks in a row. I'm just going to guess that that's probably there's probably someone who's going to do that. You guys are just going to have to deal with it. But we'll also bring in uh, quote-unquote celebrity guest pickers so you can uh, hear from them as well. We always expand the pool of uh, quick hits for the Stag Bowl. And then we'll announce, in the pregame show, we'll announce our D3Football.com All-America team. We'll announce who wins the Gilardi Trophy. And then watch the game on ESPNU. Turn down the sound. You know, pause your DVR. Sync it up with the audio that... uh, at uh, Keith and I and Frank Rossi will be calling from Wood Forest Bank Stadium. You can get a stag ball broadcast from people who have heard of Division Three. And this was the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, number 268, season 13, episode 31, released on December 16th, 2019. Thanks for listening and tune in for all of that coverage that we mentioned. If you like our podcast, you know, please consider rating it. Uh, in Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Stitcher or iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcasts, share it with somebody. Help other football fans find it. And you can leave comments for a specific episode on the blog page. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football and Keith is at D3Keith. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering to post at D3Boards.com. Also, you can follow D3Football.com on Facebook. The executive producer of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music and some of the other music we've used in this podcast is by DJ Mentos, and you can find his stuff at DJMentos.com, also on Spotify. Thanks to everybody who uh, helped contribute to this edition of our show. Special thanks especially to Muhlenberg for putting their uh, post-game audio out there online for us. And also thanks to the creator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com and my co-host, Keith McMillan. There'll be a time to, uh, to look at all this stuff and to reflect, but now's not the time.